Hey, we had a great time talking about Richard Whitmark. If you want to move past the usual topic talk, get down to some movie talk about Richard Whitmark, head to minute 33, maybe 33 and a half. Thanks, folks. Take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies. Put them in a room and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Also, I was um, I had this thought today on the way over here. Not, not topically or anything, but... Um, <laughs> I've always been of the opinion that there's something um, wise. There's something wise about being in a lifelong relationship, like a, a marriage or a partnership for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it's that if, I mean, among the other obvious sort of elements, you you get to be really old with a partner who's there for you and you're there for that partner. Yeah. That, that just seems obvious, right. like an advantage, right? right. And it's like well, all the freedom you get from not having a partner you know, and there's an, a, an immense amount of it for sure. Well, dude, I mean, just the act of like, if you don't have somebody in your house with you and you cut your finger in an awkward way, you're trying to get a bandaid on that fucking thing. Mm-hmm. So in the you know, so so I'm saying that's a, that's a small way of saying oh, to adding yeah. to a much profounder point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we both because we're we're you know I'm in a uh, you're single and I'm in a, a marriage and so. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we both can see our, the advantages and disadvantages, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so I, but but I've always counted it among the advantages that, that you have, said, like an aged partner to to commune with. Mm-hmm. But on the way over to the studio today, I saw a couple. It was like a Ford Tempo, a 1984 Ford Tempo, <laughs> driving about 17 miles an hour down the street that deserves about 40, uh-huh. with the lights. Not on on the high beams, but on on the inside of the car, uh-huh. <laughs> and they had both had a piece of paper out while the man drove, and they were clearly like helping each other down the road. And I thought, actually, it might be a, a profound disadvantage <laughs> to keep each other going that long. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keeping that, yeah, because 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 neither one of you are is are going to admit that you're past that shit. Yeah, of course not. You're just going to keep supporting yourself in the horrible. Dangerous thing that's coming your way, like a fucking freight train. Wow. Yeah, no mm. question about it. 17 miles an hour, thank God. How you doing without a phone, Tommy? Oh, fucking miserable, dude. I can't. Kind of miserable, kind of not. It's weird. It's that It's that combination of liberating and at the same time just little shit that I, was, that, that, that I actually got my use out of the phone for. Uh, it's just gone. Is, you know? it, it, do, you, do you have a... Uh, is like, the... sc- like just a, like, um, what do you, like fucking uh, Lyft, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like I love Lyft. Mm-hmm. Can't use Lyft. You need a phone. You, you don't do need it on Lyft. A... Lyft's no good for you. You man. can't do it on a computer. You can't do Lyft on a computer. No. No, it makes sense. Um, are there things that are um, advantageous, but you're not sure what the advantage is? It's just like a feeling you have. Do you well, have like a, a feeling I'm, of calm or something? I'm reading more. Oh. Just right off the bat, which is what I'm something I've been angling to do recently. Anyways, yeah. So I'm getting all. I'm getting a bunch of reading done. Every spare moment at work, I'm at my lunch break. Whatever. Yep. Boom. I got the book open. I'm reading. Kind of feels good. If we had any listeners, I would feel hesitant about saying this, but you know, the thing about podcasts and and the sort of ubiquitousness of, of podcasts mm-hmm. is, after a while, it can become like television in that there's no becomes no quality control in your life. Anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, you're just I listening mean, to a bunch of podcasts. every fucking thing. I mean, <laughs> and listening and over and re-listening to the same podcast. Like I've you re-listen that. to podcasts. Oh, I really do. Yeah, wow, I never do that way too much. Like I got about five or six like favorite podcasts, and I go like go episodes. Those. Yeah. 
And then yeah, Oh, you mean re- you re-listen to the whole series over oh, again? Oh, yeah, we'll do that, yeah. Wow, you get a lot of time on your hands, my friend. Mm, I guess. I guess. It's the single life, the aforementioned single life, I guess. The aforementioned single life, and also I'm one of those assholes who like tends to fall asleep with the podcast going on, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So I, I think I listen to them much more than I've actually actually listened to them, too. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been um, walking to work, walking to mm. and from work more often lately, and I, I uh, got a uh, The New Yorker um, has a podcast, and it's... Um, Famous writers read the uh, short stories of other famous writers, no and shit. they talk about it first, like what drew them to the short mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, I'm I, this, this morning. Listen to Salman Rushdie reading um, Italio Calvano. Oh, I love Calvino. Calvino. I've never read Calvino before, oh, so it's really? actually it's, yeah. a, it's a double sort of like um, thing I don't usually do, which is to listen to a story, but then also mm-hmm. th- having been introduced that way. But yeah. I don't care. It was really fun to have Salman Rusty, uh, Salman Rushdie. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. And Calvino's weird, man. He's like uh, he's a, he's kind of like um, he's like an he's like an Italian Garcia Marquez. Yeah, almost almost precise. I think that really is a good way to describe him. Yeah, he's, the, he's like a he's a zesty magical realism. <laughs> There's a movie um, in 1965. I think we should do sometime. I forget the name of it, but it's based on a Marquez short story, and mm. it stars Marquez and um, the Spanish language surrealist director uh, Bunel. No shit. Uh, but but they're not the neither one of them directs or you know does anything. They're else. just in the movie. They're just they're the star in the movie. Holy shit. Yeah yeah yeah. That'd be probably weird. terrible. <laughs> be probably probably awful. fucking a piece of shit. Actually, <laughs> some, some wretched <laughs> horror, just like fucking incomprehensible nonsense. Yeah yeah yeah. Wow, that'd be awesome. Okay. Anyways, yeah, definitely. Let's check that out. Um, I got uh, you know I got this thing I've been doing. To, um, oh, one of the books I'm reading is the Stephen King on writing, and it sort of like inspired me. I really mm-hmm. want to get back into doing. I hear some it's really writing. good. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, like, how do you feel about this? I'm, I'm, I'm trying Please. to think of like a good um, challenge for mm-hmm. myself, and think, you know, like one, you know, an hour a night or something like that, yeah. that, that kind of thing. What do you think of that? What do you think of approaching writing from that angle? Oh, it's the best. I mean, the thing is, I don't think it's uh, for most people. It's not um, something you can. It's sustainable. It's not a sustainable project, but you can do it for six months or eight mm-hmm. months at a time. And typically, in my experience, I have found that I burn myself out. I'm actually right now doing half an hour a day. Um, usually six days a week, and I've been doing it since almost the beginning of the year, and mm-hmm. I'm really happy with the progress I'm making with my writing. But I also know that at some point in like July or August, I'll probably just sort of like throw my hands up and stop writing for a little while. Right, right. Um, one of the things that's helping me too is to have more than one project because if you're writing as often as an hour a day or even half an you hour do a day, the same project over and over again. Well, you yeah. start tar- you start torturing the project to death, yeah, and then it, it, it's yeah. not good. And then you're, it's sort of like a self defeating thing. It's like, why am I even bothering? Because I'm just making this worse. And it's like, you know, give each product a, a, a piece that you're working on time to sort of breathe and be away from it. Yeah, and it'll occur to you when four days later it's, you rotate it back into something you're working on. That you know what it is that you need to to be working on again, or, yeah. or the real sort of that's, thing. That's super important. Like long yeah. before I got into stand up comedy, I was like really sort of an amateur short story writer. And uh-huh. I wrote a lot of short stories and yep. stuff like that. But I found exactly what you're talking about to be the case. When you're writing anything, like you can't just concentrate on that thing because you'll no. kill whatever magic is in that fucking thing. No, just I mean over editing is crazy. And it's why I think working in more than one piece works because if you work on one piece and you mm-hmm. step away from it, then you run the risk of of losing the sort of like uh, momentum of working. Right. So then you step away from writing it, period for four days and then that may not be any good. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's it's so be- amazing how how mm-hmm. good it feels to write and write well and have something work over time and finish a piece. Um, but it's also given how amazing it is. It's amazing that we just stopped doing it. 
Right. It's like exercise. You know, you feel great. You know, mm-hmm. if if you go lift weights, you know, for six months, and you're like, I'll never stop lifting weights. Right. And then a year from then, you're like, why did I stop lifting weights? It's the human condition to sort of like, what? I don't know. You get bored with it. Get bored with feeling good? Yeah. I guess it, yeah. we do, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that's wild. Yeah, speaking of which, I haven't man. been able to keep on that weightlifting thing for a long time, my friend. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're doing other things. You quit smoking. It's been how long? No. How many? How long has it been? How long since you've had a cigarette? Monthish. It's been like 30 days since you've put a cigarette in your mouth. Oh, I don't know about that. I might have cheated. I think I've cheated a couple of times since then, but that, it's been 30 days since I've had Well, when's the last time you actually had a cigarette in your mouth? <sighs> Two weeks. No, that's now. I'm curious about. Here's speaking of a writing project. I think this would be kind of interesting because you, you you're either gonna not smoke or you're gonna smoke, right? Yeah. I mean, really, that's just that's what it no comes right? To, right. So the thing is, what I would do since you carry a um a, tend to carry like a, a little pad and pen around with you anyway, mm-hmm. I would just do this. If you find yourself having smoked, don't even worry about like if, up leading up to it because that just seems to be its own monster, right? Mm-hmm. The next day, make that your writing project. Just write down. Everything the thing that, that happened, led to some putting a fucking cigarette without, in my mouth. Without okay. any intention, like let me like, let me try to find the clues now. Forget the clues. Right. Even if all you end up writing down is like I had chicken dinner or whatever it is. And if you do that a few times, if you slip up, I have a feeling somehow, like subconsciously, what's gonna come to the surface consciously is hmm. is um some sort of scenario that, that you didn't recognize before. That's interesting. Because yeah. it's the it's the craziest thing about all addictions like that. Mm. Is is not the the inability to quit because most people can. It's that you quit and then somehow tell yourself yeah. this is a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Absolutely. insane. It's complete insanity. Yeah, it is. And, and and if you really think about it, relative to what we were saying earlier, it's at least as crazy as discontinuing that thing that makes you happy. Think about think about the it's last, at least that crazy. Yeah, a hundred percent. Think about the last time you flew across country. Oh, Jesus God! And and I, I my wife and the I food one time was terrible went all the way through customs one time, mm-hmm. and then the fl- the plane was delayed by two hours, and we realized <laughs> we could get out of the airport again and barely back in in time to have one cigarette, and we did it. It was like a two hour round trip on foot just to have a fucking cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I remember once in uh, St. Louis. This is years ago. This is when like they still had areas inside of the the, but they were like cordoned off. They were like little. Airport. Aquariums, yeah, no terrariums of fucking lung yeah, disease. It was dreadful, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just this horrible, smoky thing, and you could like smell it fifteen feet away, and it was all in the carpets. And when you walked into the room, it was like somebody. It was just like yeah. an ashtray and an asshole had oh. made love or something. Yes, yes. It was fucking awful. And I just remember like sitting sitting there smoking my cigarette and watching this woman like leaning out the door, screaming at her children not to wander off into a fucking airplane. Oh yeah, and smoke. yeah. Like, that's a really, we should not do this. Oh yeah, it's the worst. It's it really is the worst thing ever and i have to sort of say i remember there's no redeeming quality to it is there big jagger of all people pointed that out i mean and that's a guy who's had a lot of things in his mouth that Oof. shouldn't have been there yeah, for sure absolutely. right mm-hmm. but but just that like of all the things he regrets only cigarettes because everything else all the other addictions he's had heroin everything else it's like you got something out of it you get zero out right. of smoking yeah except yeah. the relief of smoking, of, of avoiding the pain, which is the smoking itself. Yeah, and when you're a, I guess when you're younger, you, the, the notion of it being cool is genuinely valid to you at that point, but to yeah. nobody else. And and increasingly to fewer people every day in, in, oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in reality. So. Well, that helps. I mean, there is a little bit. I hate I hate the idea of like the public, you know, the, the, the societal pressure. Like, fuck you. That's a part of me that, that wants to stand on the smoker side. But in the end, it probably is a, it's a peer pressure that's kind of decent, I guess. Yeah, that's probably working towards the best. It's <laughs> yeah. like the, the kind of peer pressure that makes us, you know, 
know, uh, inoculate our children, vax our children or something. Yeah, that was a good segue, but I'm going to go for a different segue if you don't mind. I, the brilliance was Let's good. Let's get on a segue. Okay. I was actually thinking about the, the um, airplane thing. I was going for that first. And there, there's this, um, there's an airline. Here's the, here's the headline. An airline is suing a customer who skipped a leg of his flight to save money. So check this out. This is um, <laughs> Really? Yeah. Now, it's interesting wow. because I've thought of this before. I remember one time, um, I forget what it was. I was flying from New York to San Francisco, and I, I had to... Um, I had to change my flight, and it was like a four hundred dollar change fee. Right, it's like what the fuck, but I had to, mm -hmm. and I was like, "All right, you know, fuck you on the phone, you know, you Nazis." And um, the woman was actually laughing at me because I was I was calling her so many names. <laughs> like, uh -huh, yes, uh -huh. that can't get absurd after a while. Yeah, um, and and so I was like, "Well, that was four hundred bucks," and it just had never. I was in such a rage about it, and I agreed to it. As soon as I got off, I thought, "Let me look," and it was of course a hundred dollars cheaper if I just not taken the flight and gotten a new flight. And she wasn't going to tell me that. Of uh, course she wouldn't tell right, me that. Of course, right. But here's the article. Luft Lufthansa is suing a passenger for taking advantage of hidden city fares to save money. Lufthansa, the German national airline, is suing a passenger for missing his layover. The story is a little more complicated than an airline suing a customer for being late or careless. Lufthansa is claiming that the passenger booked a flight from Seattle to Oslo, Norway, mm -hmm. with a layover in Frankfurt, Germany, mm -hmm. and intentionally missed the connecting flight Instead, boarding a different Lufthansa flight he had booked that was headed to Berlin, his intended destination. Right. I mean, you, you understand the, yeah. the, the premise there. Right. I get it. Yeah. So he bought two tickets. Yeah. He bought two tickets. One from Berlin. Yeah. What's the problem? I don't get it. There's don't, no, why is that a problem? None. Uh, no. I, I'm sorry. Lufthansa, I'm not on your side, giant German well, airline. I guess because, well, that's a seat we could have used for someone else, but it's like, well, Fuck you. Yeah. Well, the first planes are a first come, first serve thing to begin with. And I don't, yeah, I don't, which is, I don't get the logic. Well, I get where they're coming from on that, but I don't think they, I don't think they conceivably have a fucking leg to stand on. They're really so fucking terrible. My wife and I flew to London in December, and on the way, I don't know if I told you this, on the way over there, you know, London's a pretty long flight. Yeah. And on the way over oh, there. So now from here to Dublin was 11 hours. How long to London? 12? Oh, probably the same. Probably the same. Okay, there was, there was, the same. It was direct. I mean, okay. thank God. Sure. So, so, but we're, we're, you know, it's crammed in, of course. We're near the back row, left-hand side. And, you know, it's, you're finally, finally exhausted enough to, to sit in a seat where the guy in front of you is laying in your lap. Mm. And our, the, the light panel. Above mm -hmm. us wouldn't go off. It was the only light panel on the plane <laughs> that wouldn't go off. God damn it. Okay. So yeah. we managed to do that. And as we were descending into Heathrow, water started pouring down onto my wife from the light panel. Oh, my. And we, so we were like, I held up a towel like uh, over her head. Yeah. You know, I'm like, and, and, and we weren't, I mean, we weren't outraged. We just told the, 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 the flight attendant, hey, this is happening. And her response was, that happens. And that was it. That doesn't happen. That really ought not well, to happen. Well, I mean, apparently. I'd be worried about the maintenance of the fucking airplane at that point. Yeah, I guess so. But the point I is. I remember once being like... on an airplane and looking over like at the emergency exit, which I was right. I was in the emergency room and looked over and there was stuffing poking out of it. And I was like, nah, I don't like the fucking look the of that. St <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> stuffing coming around. There was stuffing coming out of the goddamn. Out of the side of the uh, the emergency exit. Oh, yeah, that's not good. Well, that fucking in, in a highly electrified electrified environment like the, like like an airplane having water pour on you is a bad idea. I think. Oh yeah, I, I would think I so. Speckins. 
Speckums. I, I, I got a lot of stuff to say about airplanes and airports. And uh, tell us, tell us your observations. Ooh, on, the food is terrible. <laughs> those penis? Those penises are terrible. A little bag of penises, not enough. I say. No, yeah. I just uh, I love airports. People watching in airports. It's, I've always found it fascinating because I like to. I love people watching and coming up with people's biographies and judging them weirdly just by watching them interact. And airports are great because nobody. You're never more uncomfortable and angry. It's humans at their worst in airports. Like there are a couple of scenarios where maybe where it's worse, like prison, for instance. Uh-huh. But in a casual sense, you're never going to find people humanity at their worst than you are going to find at an airport. You know, yeah. coming through a security line, you have to take my fucking belt off and my shoes. No guy likes that. Having to put a down payment on a cinnamon bun to get something to eat in the fucking thing. Yeah. You just get to watch people like just not happy. In masses and in families, too. Oh, my God. You know, you ever watch, like, watching people at an airport and go, why did you bring your children to this vacation? Listen, I... Don't bring kids to a vacation. I will tell you this. uh, uh, Two and under, Mm -hmm. I have zero... I mean, unless you're on the way to a funeral or something, and you never are. Yeah. Fuck Somebody Somebody, there's Skype, but if somebody needs to see this baby 500 miles away, fuck Nobody. No. You have Skype. Absolutely. No, none of that. No. And then the other thing too is like you're talking about like how miserable the seats are. You, yep. Have you ever have you ever gotten the the bump? Oh yeah, twice. Fuck, dude. You should never do that. It's so, mm-hmm. it's so much better. You I don't you just have no idea how oppressed you are in back in back in coach until you actually yeah. get up to business and then I've only been up once and it was like fucking wow. Wait, you got bumped to business? It was like business or first class. It was first class. It, yeah. First class of business. There's there's a big difference there too. Well, I don't know. Maybe I don't. Yeah. Maybe I I don't know. I got bumped to one of them, and let me tell you, it was fucking amazing. It had plenty of leg room. They kept like, did you want? Do you want chocolate cake? I'm like, oh yeah, that's first class. Must be okay. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Are you asking? Are you shitting my car? Yeah. yeah. And bring the champagne while you're at it, bitch. You know, mm-hmm. it was amazing, dude. I was like, I was, mm-hmm. I was so, I it was, I felt like a like a. Like a Dickensian peasant who had been brought into the space shuttle program or well, something. Like, it was just out of my element. You're a large... I'm a you're, fucking peasant. You're a large gentleman, Don. No, no, I'm I, curious. Uh, how Portly, you, I think, is the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, well, okay. And, and this is... A, I'm not digging it's on you. Port of San Juan, Puerto Rico. <laughs> okay, I'll let you dig on you. But I'm not digging on you. I'm just... I'm saying you, you are a, port, a portly guy. So, like... Yeah. Uh, how does uh, you know? I know I know how people feel about uh, the other end of it. Like ah shit, when they're sitting in the seat. How do you feel? Like does it make you self conscious to, to sort of sit in a seat that that is hardly? I mean, I have trouble in those seats. Yeah, they're well, not you, fun. The way well, I'm I'm sort of helped by the configuration of my fat. Basically, mm-hmm. my fat works on a sort of a works on a like a like a front to back basis. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not as wide. As some people who are my weight ought to be, most of my weight you. goes in that. My yeah. ass is actually rather small, so do I don't have, have a problem ass. with the seat. Yeah. I do kind of. It, it does get a little weird with the elbow situation, and so I usually what I do is I'll take the I'll take the I'll take the window seat because mm-hmm. nobody wants that really? fucking thing. I'll take the window seat, jam myself in there. It's a miserable experience. I've Good already, lord! I'm, I'm experiencing death flashbacks. Well, because if I sit on the fucking middle, then no, no. But the terrible. aisle, I would think, would be the place. Yeah, you but could then spill out. Yeah, well, except <laughs> you'd think, except you do, and you get your back fat hit by the goddamn uh, cart. Pink, <laughs> <laughs> so, ow, fuck! It, that's not pleasant. Okay. So you take the window seat, stay in there. 
yeah, and just yeah. pray you don't have to pee throughout yeah. whatever, however long that fucking flight okay. is going to be. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my secret to it. Well, good for you. Yeah. It's secrets to flying. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you you love handles winged by a cart with coffee on it. Yeah, I actually, yeah, we were having, we're having a big discussion at work. This is how inane some of these meetings are about, um, a meeting. this, this, um, we procured some funds for new chairs and tables. It's a furniture discussion. And it went on and motherfucking on. Right. But it's all these sort of choices. And and a lot of people, I got outvoted here, were voting for chairs with no arms. And to me, I was like, who, who the fuck wants a chair with no arms? Until I realized that, that as most Americans, there's a lot of portly people. And they're like, yeah, fuck you. I don't, those are little uh, jails for right. my tummy. I just like the idea. Well, (laughs) as a portly gentleman myself, I like the idea of uh, classrooms where there's tables and chairs Mm -hmm. instead of like the old desk where you have to slide. Oh, yeah, those are terrible. Yeah, just put my man titties up up across my ears. Well, I think ADA now has every every classroom will have like a table or two or something. Ah, for the chubbies. You got to have a table or two. Got to have a table for the chubbies. You you were mentioning the um, the, uh, vaccination thing, and that's another story I ran across, and I thought it was interesting. Like, the story is, um, uh, uh, I'm going to read again from an article. A teen defies anti-vax mom gets vaccinated after turning 18. So this kid, it turns 18, he's been waiting to get <laughs> to get vaccinated. And the first thing he does as, as an adult is go out and fight to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, I you know, I remember watching the Jetsons years ago. And it was like this really corny premise that George Jetson went into the future future, the future mm-hmm. of the future. Right. The future of the future was that the teenagers were like dancing to like, um, you know, a Strauss waltz or something. And it was like, this <laughs> right. is the new rebellion. It's uh-huh. like not rebelling. And I can't help that we're kind of we're headed in that direction when no, our yeah. world is so insane that that your act of rebellion is to turn eighteen and finally, my God, I can get vaccinated from all these diseases. I, I like the idea. <laughs> this, this actually kind of gives me a little bit of hope. And, and tell me, it doesn't give you a little bit of hope Please. too. Yeah. Is is that we are in danger of like the next rebellious you know generation coming up is going to be ridiculously responsible. Yeah, as opposed to everybody, as opposed to like their their parents and and for that matter, for our generation, right? Yeah, they're gonna rebel. They're gonna take. They're gonna freaking t- t- do their taxes on time. They're gonna be goddamn model citizens. That'd be a great rebellion. Well, you know what? I'm gonna go a step further and say uh, the the social justice warriors who drive me absolutely bananas uh-huh. are actually, I think, just a misguided or um, inexperienced effort at being super responsible. Because, oh yeah, absolutely. I think the motivation is fucking is mm-hmm. laudable, laudable mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, I mean, yeah. you want people to 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 be treated fairly, and you want people not to be hurt, and you want less hate in the world. It's like, yeah, I of course, who mm-hmm. who would disagree with that? It's right. just your applications. So those are all fucking fabulous. Rotten. Well, first off, those are all fabulous, and your application's also a little bit lopsided because you're not doing much else beside that. Yeah, and, and and that can't be a life's goal. It can't yeah. be a life's goal to get through life without hurting people's feelings. That's well, not, yeah. that's not good. Well, that that's what work. that's what adults are for us to sort of say like, oh, hey, there's a little bit of pain in life that's actually very useful to us, right. and, and hierarchies have a purpose. And, you so know, in order to in order to bypass that, we're we're getting past the th- we're, we're we're also making pain like not a good thing. Like they're even yeah. doing that medically, which is interesting. Go ahead. Which is added hugely to this uh, to the current uh, opioid epidemic that you we're enjoying. <laughs> You sound like someone I could respect. 
Go on, Tommy. Well, let me tell Which you. Which adds hugely to the whole Well, no, what really has is that is that the notion that, okay, so a lot of it has come from the, you know, the, the use of opioids in the hospitals. A lot of people are, be, you know, the, the way pain management is working in hospitals now is that they're treating pain as though it should not exist ever, like in a hospital setting, whereas mm-hmm. for the longest time, pain was considered part of the, like, the actual healing process. That was... Well, it's an indicator. It is an indicator. Right. Right? And so now they're getting rid of that. And in so doing, one of the things they're doing is they're making people who are addicted to opioids yep. because because we've 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 made that like like a goal. Like not only a goal, but like like yeah. a positive thing. And maybe it isn't that positive a thing, and I think it should be relooked at. Yeah, and uh, well, of course. And and I think the harder one is um more slippery is is that there's a use to having emotional pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that's yeah, but it's really yeah, we're in the same ballpark. We're talking yeah. I mean, it is actually useful sometimes. The problem yeah. with emotional pain is, I mean, most of us, maybe it's just a, 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 for men, I guess, but but like if you look at your kid or, or your nephew or niece or whatever, you you would much rather have them break an arm than have their hearts broken. Sure. It, it's just hard. It's hard yeah. to, like someone you know, to watch that. And so like yeah. we do, traditionally well, we do whatever we can, And but fortunately in the past, we haven't been able to do all that much. It's actually been helpful well, that we haven't been able been to. It's been our role not to have access to feelings. Right. Well, oh, and yes, not want. Yeah. No, no, I mean, I mean parents in general. I mean women sure. too. The idea is like, yes, you'd want to, of course, keep your kids from all heartbreak. Right. You know, to a reasonable degree. But, but fortunately for them, you're really not able to mostly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just able to try. That's right. the thing that helps. Right. I guess. I don't know. I don't know eh, fuck it. Vaccinate that. yourself from feelings, I say. That's what I think. Because we're Irish, so that's got to be part of it. Oh, it is our Irish heritage. <laughs> I think so. And you're German. That makes it even worse. I saw this. Vaccinated with with, yeah. with, with Jewish tears. Anyway. Oh, enough. you. That is Jews very. Oh, oh, no, sir. <laughs> um, I saw this uh, documentary recently called Sh- um, uh, Shirkers. Okay. You should check it out. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to okay, spoil it for you. Spoil everyone. it. I don't care. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch. Is it on Netflix? Uh, it is. I think it's on Netflix. It's um, it's a documentary about a movie that was made. It's kind of It has a mythological sort of um, feeling to it. What is that? Oh, it's a door. Oh, okay. Um, the that was, that was my heart. <laughs> was your wallet to a halt? Yeah. Um, okay. So these these um, teenagers in um, I can't think of it now. What's the fucking city Southeast Asia? Um, Singapore. Kind of, uh, Singapore. Thank you. Mm. That was it. Um, Southeast Asia. That's pretty much the first one. Yeah. I'm. So, yeah. Right. So anyway. So so these um, three teenagers from Singapore who are absolutely obsessed with movie making and mm. and also very very interesting. Like it's great to see interesting kids. Like just mm. kids who are constantly making like collages and weirdo things yeah, yeah, yeah. and started a like a, 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 a an underground like punk magazine for a while mm. and like and and this is in a um a, a, a government that that banned gum. The time when yeah. they were growing up, they banned gum because it was like Singapore, seen yeah. as like superfluous or you know whatever. They would end up on the sidewalk and they'd have to cane. Something. Well, there's that too, right? So 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 there's these girls who are kind of like rebellious in a really interesting way, and mm-hmm. and they um they they read um all the the cinema magazines you know nonstop. Anyway, so so they um they attend this um kind of like community workshop on filmmaking mm-hmm. that was put on by this guy from New Orleans who was like an expat in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Who's like he's forty and they're like sixteen, seventeen, oh. eighteen. 
No, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. But you know there. where my brain goes. That, Everyone's brain went there immediately. Uh, probably. And and I'm not even saying that's completely absent, but that's not what the story is. And anyway, so like it, it um, um, the 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 real mover and the shaker of the group writes the, uh, a script. Um, she goes off to college in London. One of them goes off to college in Los Angeles. One in New York. But they keep in contact with the guy and with each other. And she comes up with a script, and it's like this really, really interesting surrealist Singaporean script. Mm. And and um, they come back like midway through college, and they have like thirty one days to film this thing. And they talk like the Kodak company into into giving them free equipment and film, and they get this guy to direct it. Oh shit! And they they shot seventy rolls of film, okay. and and they um, they recorded a soundtrack. They got a, a, a kind of a um, an, another expat who was like a punk rocker to do like a soundtrack for it, and it was like it was about a road trip, and it was just this fascinating sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all then go back to college, and the director's there to sort of get an editor and put it all together, and he disappears with all seventy rolls. Shut up. And and the story is like for the years they just thought this this heartbreaking thing. It was just the dream was gone. Oh shit! That it was be... just completely wow. gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happened was. He died at some point, and the wife, um, he had divorced a few years earlier, uh, before he died in Belgium or something like that. She she got a hold of this woman, she tracked her down, and she was like, "I have like seventy rolls of your film," and the woman's like, "Whoa!" And it's like, "Yeah, no my shit. my husband would drag this around all over the world from house to house, and he we we'd always have to pay more for a house that had air conditioning, so he he'd have a special room, mm. and he would never talk about what they were, but there were like seventy cans of film, and the and the woman's like, "You're kidding me!" No In shit. the meantime, she become like a film critic. One uh, one of the girls went on to, to Vassar <laughs> to become like head of the film department at Vassar, but they all had this sort of like this film that they that, mm-hmm. that they thought was missing, so they get the seventy rolls, and he kept the seventy. He rolls, but he ditched all the sound, so it was completely worthless after all. Fuck. And and they couldn't figure it out. And one of the things they, they figured out was in her script, she had the scene where a where a, a boy is taking a picture with a camera, and he realizes there's no film on the camera. Mm-hmm. And the protagonist tells the boy, "It doesn't matter if there's film on the camera. It was the experience." And the guy took that scene, apparently this is their interpretation, uh, to such heart that he played it out with their film. Fuck him. I don't know what the, what I got out of that, but it's just wow. that people are interesting and also really fucked up. That's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, think about like just what a great fucking story. Like, oh, those, yeah. those people, those girls will be friends for the rest of their fucking lives, if and only if, because they're the only people who know that story as well as they do. And they have this this sort of love hate relationship experience. with each other that mm-hmm. I think artists do. They really sometimes it shows that they really irritate each other yeah, sometimes yeah. With, mm-hmm. with trying to control the situation. Even now in making this one, and it's interesting, of course, that this. This documentary will be ten times more popular than that film ever would have been. Right. But or, I, or or <laughs> was that film Pulp Fiction, you know? I don't know. It did look, you know, from from what I could see from the soundless uh <laughs> outtakes, release it. Uh, yeah, it I looked guess. really, really interesting. Yeah. Like Put a, in title cards, make it a make it a make it a real art project. Oh, but you know what else it was? Was um um, you know, she she as a, like a seventeen year old was like pretty pretty efficient an aficionado of film, right? Uh-huh. But of course, he was more so. And so, as the director of this film, he would sort of make like suggestions, like let's do this scene this way. And she was like, God damn, that's amazing. And then when she got older, what she realized was those were all stolen from like Bunel <laughs> and and like other like right. auteurs. Okay, so he was a dick all the way through. Yeah, this but, guy. Know, I gotta say, I, I kind of like that line though Wait. from the movie. 
Oh yeah, it's the experience. I kind of okay. I get. I that, yeah. that has some. I mean, that has a, some power and meaning. It's, it's a version of the old corny, like it's not the journey, not the destination, it's the journey, which is like, ugh, but there's some truth to it. Certainly, but you can't. Yeah, the manuf- concreteness of the image though is pretty sweet. But the problem is, is that he yeah. manufactured it wow. on their behalf, <laughs> and that's you know what I mean. <laughs> what a twat! Had, had they had they lost the film mm-hmm. in a flood, right? And then decided to make this about the heartbreak of losing that film. That would have been yeah, very. It probably may not have even been as good a documentary, but it's mm-hmm. like it would have been more authentic to their lives. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the other thing is like wow. you know, suffering is part of what makes great art, mm. but it's not that doesn't mean it's worth the suffering. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that is true. There is truth to that. It, it is, just is. Maybe it is. Yeah, it is part of it. But but no. In the end of the day, I think yeah. It's I, you worry about the artist who wants to continue to live in their turds. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I know. I know for a fact. You and I went through our let's be Burroughs phase. Oh yeah. Because we did it together in SF. Mm-hmm. So it's for for quite a while, you actually had much a much better head start on that than I did. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but after but yeah, when you reach a certain point, you get over that. Even as an artist, right? You've had so. those experiences, and you want then you draw on them later. Yeah, you know, in your in your well, two goes, car garage. It kind of goes back to the writing thing. You know, I'm working on a piece now, and it's like I, I've I've been reading tons and tons of um, of nonfiction. Here's some coffee, buddy. Thank you, sir. Uh, tons and tons of creative nonfiction to sort of inform me yeah. about. Mm-hmm. I've been schooling myself because that's really what you're doing. You're, been, you're trying to work at becoming a creative. Tons writer. of creative nonfiction. So I've been writing this piece, and I don't necessarily want to say what it's about. But I wrote all this stuff, and it was about like, hey, this isn't necessarily about the subject. It's really about my feelings about the subject. But what happened was, and it's, I'm I'm pleased with how it's going. But at a certain point, I realized, oh, I still I haven't written word one about the actual subject. And and what I think is that that moment where you realize, oh, I need to settle down and now get busy actually writing about the thing itself, so yeah. that it's not mm-hmm. empty, is something that comes with age. Right. It's, it doesn't come with like tragedy or pain. It comes with the ability to sort of like poke fun at yourself and 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 sort of like um, to, to step back from yourself and right. go like, oh yeah, well, this thing that I thought was great is great, but but put it aside. Right. Well, fine. you know, isn't it, well, but hold on, because because I think it does come with age, and I think uh, like a part of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're which wrong. You, got, you know, God knows you well, yep. um, is the, the notion, well, as you get older, you're like, time is time, <laughs> there's only so much time. Yeah. Right? The, the, point of, the point of this piece of art needs to eventually becomes the point of this piece of art. Yep. Or it's a waste, or it becomes a waste of time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't even know. Uh, it's all going to be a, a, a anyway. Grumble, grumble, snort. Richard Widmark. Richard Widmark. Richard motherfucking Richard Widmark. Wide of the Widmark. Richard Mark. Yep. Okay, that's Good what we're talking about today. Yeah. Good suggestion. I'm a yeah. I gotta say, I kind of like this, and I got a chance to uh, watch one movie that. Uh, well, well, we, one of the movies we'll be talking about has a kind of a like it's one of those movies I saw as a kid that has kind of a legendary thing in my head, and so it was good to revisit it. Is this the first one? Yeah. Time. Uh, the, the, was it? Uh, boy. You're really on top of things. Are you talking yeah, about shit, uh, I don't <laughs> Kiss of the... Death? No, not that one. Oh, it's the last one. Yeah. Oh, we'll get there. All right. All so right. Let's, let's start with Kiss of Death. Now, let's, let's do that. 1947's Kiss of, of Death. Death. Actually, now, it's not. It's starring the person you hate as much as I hate James Garner. <laughs> yeah, he's and right That's Victor there. Mature. Yeah. That's you really, I, I, I like don't like this. Uh, for, because of him, I don't care for this movie that much. That's... That's, first and of it's all, strictly it's strictly because of, of Richard. All, that Richard. is insane. Yeah, that is an insane position not uh, to like this movie. All right, all right, all right. I mean, that's ridiculous. Plus I mean, the voiceover stuff. The voiceover stuff at the beginning of the movie gets a little bit too much. It's for me. not good. I, I agree. don't care for Rich. I just don't care for him. But Richard Widmark, 
is fucking something to be holding. Well, so then we should say, we should say that first of all in this movie that it, it's not a Richard Woodmark movie per se. No. He has like fourth billing. It, it's mm-hmm. a Richard Woodmark movie in the same way that The Petrified Forest is a Humphrey Bogart movie. Yes, yeah, so right. In that in that he came in, it was his first real role. Like I think his maybe his first speaking. It's his role. film debut. Yeah, yeah. He comes in and steals the fucking show. It does. He does. He just is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, but but, but it's, now let me ask you this before we go any further. Have you seen the remake from like 1990 or 91? 92 with uh, De Niro. I did. Oh, no, no, with uh, uh, Nicolas Cage. And De Niro. Was De Niro in that? Yeah, yeah. God damn it, that was terrible. That was a terrible movie. Yeah, I, And he I, was awful, and Nicolas Cage was terrible in that movie. I didn't even realize that it was a remake. Yeah. I don't think I paid, it was one of those movies I didn't, I didn't pay attention It's barely a remake. Obviously. It's not nearly a It may not even have De Niro. I, I'm... I don't, I don't know. I don't think it does. It is uh, yeah, right. Caruso from... Uh, Caruso, yeah, you're David right. David Caruso. You're yeah, right. It was, yeah, the, yeah. was the movie that killed his career finally, thank God. Yeah. Okay, but it still didn't do Nick Cage in. But anyways, so but that's... Fucking, a, by the way, Leonard this, Maltin gives gives the 1992 version two and a half stars. He gives this one two and a half stars, too. Every nah. once in a while, Leonard Maltin's an asshole. Yeah, every once in a while. I like him, but it's every once... Yeah, come on. I'd love to get him on here. just so not we could a two like, and a half star movie. Like, we could just like rusty trombone him for the first half of it and then beat him with like soft pads for the second half. In that order, eh? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's it's a uh, it's not a Richard Woodmark movie per se. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a Victor Mature movie. Victor Mature vehicle. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So I'm going to say this. I agree with you. It, the voiceover that that happens in the first part of the movie, which which uh, we find out is one of the characters later on in the movie, right. is not good. It's a sort of mealy. I don't w- always dislike voiceover. Sometimes no. I think it. it and in noir, they have really a purpose good. for sure. Yeah, I just don't. I think it's just way overused and not, uh, poorly done in this one. It is. But I'm going to say this. This movie has some great direction. And okay. he, and I like it from the beginning. Like it's it's classic in movies to use an elevator as a as a sort of tension. Right. You'd like to see the numbers climbing or descending. But I've never seen it as effectively used as the beginning of this movie where Victor hmm. Mature and two guys are, are in a robbery yeah, and they have to go bad. down the elevator like 30 yeah. stories. That's and a great tension it, builder. It is and they're nuts. waiting for the alarm to go off and it, 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 there are too many passengers keep getting on. Right. And, and, the, and the cops have been called and it's like there's this sort of like yeah, it's very, very tense to yeah, begin with. Yeah, it's really well done. That, that that scene is very, very well done. You're right. I guess the directing is pretty good. In the directing's good. Yeah. That 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 the i the the idea to use voiceover to set up the tension, we didn't need it. I mean, it, it tells yeah. you that this guy is a, is a is a one or two times loser before he robs this place. Mm-hmm. That he's poor. That he can't get a job, and it's unfair. Yeah, and, and his blah, kids blah, blah, are blah. starving. And it's like, yeah, I got it. But much more interesting is him in that elevator Just looking at the numbers. Show him robbing the thing, and then Holy have have moly. a cop talk to him about it later on, which they do anyways. Yeah, about all that stuff that's brought in the voice. But yeah, it's a very ineffective use of the voiceover. So he, he gets, but the directing is great, and you're right. That scene in the elevator is it's is pretty great. fucking remarkable. So Victor, I've forgotten how Victor good that gets scene sent was. up, and then all of a sudden the movie takes on a sort of t- um, each dawn I die with Cagney element mm-hmm. for still in the first. Act, right, so he's like he's not gonna buckle. Oh, he won't fucking, rat. He's a hard. He's a hard ass. He's he's a he's a hardened criminal. All right, so he's not gonna rat out yep. his friends. Of course, the people yeah. who are in on it, he'll take. He'll do his time. Stiff upper lip, blah blah. And meanwhile, the DA is like trying to <laughs> is somehow got a boner for turning this guy. This, this the, guy more than anybody else apparently in the city. This DA is <laughs> the most ridiculous man. Well, apparently this guy has kids, and the DA has kids too. So yeah. there's the fucking connection. So there we go. Yeah, no, I I actually agree that there are, that the the beginning of this movie is the setup is what's absurd about it's a this little movie. tortured yeah. uh, but aside from the robbery which i like it's like oh my god and it's like when when is victor mature gonna break because he realizes that it's no good being like honor among
among thieves. It's honor as a father that counts. Right, right. And there's a nice, to me, the nice moment is actually when he realizes he finds out that his wife um, commits suicide. Commit suicide. And then it becomes like an early been... Lillian Hellman play. It actually gets kind of like, um, it, yeah. it's like stark. Right. Well, because she was, she committed suicide because she was sexually assaulted. What? By one, by one of his buddies, right? No. I think it was, yeah. I think did was... you watch this movie, Tom? Yeah, did, did you go yeah. off memory? No, 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 no. I'm pretty sure. No. Did you I, go off memory, Tom? Admit it right here on this podcast. I might be a little bit wrong on that one. Did you go off memory? <laughs> no, no, no. She writes a note to him. She just, she's starving. They're broke. Mm. Okay. And All she right. sticks her head in the oven. All right. Mm. I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to go back. Now I, I seem to, to remember something. Now like I get this. to add things and see you. Ah, uh, you fuck you. Anyway. All right. Well, it's Woody Allen's first movie. <laughs> Okay, so listener, let, let, Plast last let movie. JoJo walk you through this because he right, actually we'll watched the movie. So, so, so she she commits suicide, and it and, and you know, Victor Mature's character realizes finally, like, okay, well, I have to be a father here. I can't mm-hmm. afford to have honor among these because there's no no one looking, and my kids are off at, a, at an orphanage. Right, and so he begins to to um, devise a plan with the DA to rat his buddies out, right. but make it look like mm-hmm. he's not ratting his buddies out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's it. And so he gets out, and here's where our Richard Widmark enters the scene. Oh, Richard yeah. Widmark actually goes into prison with him. We, mm-hmm. That's where he gets to meet him. We get a, a, a brief shot of him. But when he comes out, um, our man, Victor Mature, is hanging out mm-hmm. with with, uh, with this character. Right. Who is, I'm going to say... <laughs> cartoonishly nuts. I think he's great. Yeah, he's kind of fabulous. He's He is, I'm going to say he is cartoonishly crazy. Mm. And at the same time, kind of pulls it off. Yeah, Tommy Udo. He's just, is yeah, the Tommy, he's, just, he's just he's he's terrifying. He really is a terrifying character. He's like um, he's like uh, I'm gonna go um, uh, from um, Cape Fear. Yep. Yeah, he's got that quality of being a genuine. There's a genuine Mitchum from Cape Fear, or even De Niro. From even Cape De Niro Fear, from Cape yeah. Fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either one. Uh, but this this is a this is a truly menacing and scary character. Well, that's the thing. You know, that's the thing with um, uh, Whitmark is that he had like two two sides to his career, and I think that actually alcoholism is what turned him to the other side because <laughs> he had uh, for the first like. Mm, Six or seven years of his career, he was this sort of menacing maniac. Remember, we saw him mm. in No Way Out with Sidney Poitier. Yeah, yeah. Um, in our second film, we can talk about that. Um, so he's this sort of skinny. He's got these sort of like he's got six or seven facial moves that are just like like a a, a DC Marvel like character yeah, or yeah, something yeah. who would be called the Scarecrow or something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's what's what's. <clears throat> You know, brilliant and, and menacing about him there, and then somewhere in the mid fifties, I think because he just got haggard and started looking his age, he became the sort of he got a little Spencer Tracy to him. I call him so. I call him Charlton Heston Light at that point. He okay, kind of a respected elder statesman. Those are the kinds of roles that he starts getting. No, no, the, like all the time. The Tommy Udo character here with Richard Woodmark is that is, fucking laugh is he's this terrible menacing <laughs> laugh. He's got this look that's just like sunken eyes, mm-hmm. bugging out. Um, it's almost like he's wearing a zoot suit, but you d- it's actually that the suits are just too big for him. Right. I like that. I like Richard Widmark can pull off a huge wide brim on a hat like nobody's fucking business. Back yeah. In that day. yeah. He yeah. kind of looks like a, a an aside drawing from R. Crumb. Yeah, 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 in a way, right? So, so now the fam- and you're right about the zoo suit. There's, 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 there's yeah. a quality of it just based on. You're right. Okay. Well, it's. It, I think that that's intentional in the sense that it's like here's this menacing guy, but he's almost like a menacing baby face. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. He's a kid. Yeah, he doesn't quite he's fit a, the big man suit. Right. Yeah, he's a kid. Well, he's a kid trying to be a terrifying big man. Yeah. And because he's trying so fucking hard, he pulls it off very nicely. 
Yeah, and, the, and little, the, the, little, the, the, little, the little man syndrome sometimes can be yeah, the Napoleon thing. pretty terrifying. Now, the director Hathaway, I think, here's, you know, he, I talked about that elevator scene with, um, with Victor Mature, uh-huh. but he also, the way he frames Widmark, there's a scene later on in the movie where Widmark is in the back of a restaurant and, and you see him see Victor Mature enter the restaurant through the seam in a curtain. Yeah, yeah. And the camera closes in on the seam of the curtain, like the, the seam, whatever it is, like the, the, the space, the right. narrow space between the curtain. And yeah. then you see Widmark's face getting closer to the seam on the other side, and it's fucking brilliantly yep. shot. Yeah, that's a great scene. So he does, he does a lot with him. Mm-hmm. Now, famously, this is the, the movie with the famous scene. Do we scene. even Go need ahead. to talk about the, the, yeah, uh, the stair scene? Mention the stair scene. Okay, so anyway, so so uh, he Richard Widmark is uh, trying to uh, find the person who he thinks is a rat. When Abbott and Costello show up. No, 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 no. So anyway, so, so, so much like the character from the movie Up, right? He attaches balloons to an old lady in a wheelchair. No, I'm kidding. He ties this old lady. He's trying to question her. Uh, I'm playing into the, the haven't seen a thing that you're doing. Yep. Anyways, uh, so... Uh, so he's trying to talk to the, he's trying to talk to this guy's mom to find out where he is, and she lies to him, and he doesn't like lying. That's as bad as being a rat. Yep. So she's in a wheelchair, and she's in a place with stairs because people shouldn't should live like that. Yep. And he just ties her to the wheelchair and shoves her down a flight of steps, it's laughing like, all the way. Oh my god, with that crazy fucking laugh! It's yep. it's it it is the. It is the promise of this character applied to the actual film, and I and I gather during in its day it was like it was shocking. You know? Yeah, well, for sure, it's actually pretty still. It's still pretty fucking. It shocking. is pretty fucked up what he does, and also yeah. it's like um, it, it shows that Udo is um, a maniac, but he's not entirely dumb because it's not it's not just that he objects to what she does by lying; it's that he figures it's good enough to get her. You can get you can get the rat, but if you can't find the rat, just kill the rat's mother. Right, and, and right. the message is still well because the idea is he wants to hurt the rat at any cost. So he is that crazy person, but he does have this weird. He has a weird ethic that he's carrying around with him. Yeah, which is the anti-rat ethic. That's pretty much he. He doesn't know much about life, but he knows he's against rats. I found this um, article from two thousand one. This is seven years before um, Woodmark died. This this um, journalist mm. had lunch with him basically. <laughs> Um, and he talks about the scene. He talks about the movie, and he talks about the scene. And this is the a quote from him: "My first day's work was when I pushed um, Millie Dunnick down. That's the the woman who plays the the mother down the stairs. I'd never been in a movie. Hathaway, that's the director. He didn't say anything. He just wanted me out." End quote. The article goes on. Impossible to believe, but Henry Hathaway didn't um, think that Woodmark was right for the role and wanted a local east side small timer named Harry the Hipster instead. Quote, Harry didn't want me in the worst way. I mean, Henry didn't want me. The Hathaway, the director, didn't want him in the worst way. This is Woodmark speaking. Uh-huh. It was a very small part. I only worked for a few days. The first week I was working, God, he was giving me a terrible time. On the set, he was very inarticulate. Part of it was frustration. He couldn't get over that, what he wanted from the actors, and he'd go crazy, even with <laughs> old friends. He'd scream at them. Anyway... Mm-hmm. Henry embarrassed the hell out of me in front of a lot of my friends who were doing extra work and so forth. And I said, to hell with this. So I pushed everyone aside and I left. It was lunchtime. I was walking down the street. I was going to take the train home to Bronxville. I'd had enough of the movies. Henry's assistant's assistant came running after me and he said, come have lunch, Henry. And then he got together and they did the rest of the movie and they became fast friends with the six movies together. Really? But this director hated him and thought he was way <laughs> over the top and wrong for the role. Okay. And well, Woodmark okay. nearly walked away from the movies, according to him. Like right. he would not have made another movie. He was well, just going to go back to his life. Think about this. But here's the thing. Woodmark is over the top in this movie. Of course he is. But he's delightfully over the top. He's exactly mm. the antidote that this movie is. I mean, Victor Mature, from my, from my money, is over the top as well. But he's just not as, he's not as watchable as Widmark. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
what you don't like about Victor Mature. And I wonder, hey. Tommy, and the, uh, you, I might be totally off on this mm -hmm. because I have to, like, I have this dislike of James Garner that has been going on for years. And mm -hmm. I, it could well be that at a certain point, I become comfortable with liking, disliking James Gardner, mm -hmm. and I need to go back and examine. Do I really dislike James Gardner, or do I like disliking? Do I like disliking? Oh, that's a good question. And I wonder if that's the case for you because I can't imagine what you don't like about Victor Mature. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I can't say it. He's there's something about him that's extra wooden, that's extra unbelievable. Mm -hmm. There's something about his face, even the way his fucking eyes poke out of that face of his. <laughs> but it's, it's very like, Dean it's Martin like, esque, man. It's like it's like the it's like the skin side of a fucking ham with two black holes in it for me. <laughs> Well, There's just something about him that I don't fucking like. writing for today. And here's the thing. I hate to say it. Yeah? I hate him because I, when, the first time I saw this movie, I, I, I've, been, I've seen three Victor Mature movies, and we've talked about them all on this show. Okay. One of them was Kiss of Death, and I saw this years ago, and I was like, God, I fucking don't like that guy. There's something about his face, I think. That's yeah. part of it. That's Did you like the movie when you first saw it? No, nah, not really. How old I like, oh, 15, 16. Would you say you like it more now or the same? Oh, I like it more now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I get more out of I get I got more out of uh, Widmark this time. Yeah, I, I mean, think. and I and I got to be honest, I'm aware that my dislike of Victor Mature yep. is probably not rational. It just is a lot of it's based on his look. I just don't like it, and I don't care for mm -hmm. his acting very much. I like the movie, but I I it's what's strange to me is that um, the parts that work really work, and the parts that don't really don't for me. And so mm. I, I, it's rare to see a movie that that's that that's that divided, right? You know, in terms yeah, of what's working, okay. what's, it's almost as if like, like Hathaway gave like the assistant director parts that didn't work, or or the editor or something. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you got to lay it at the feet of Hathaway, I guess. But there's something about this movie too that I can't that I cannot deny, which is if you were to go, this is a classic movie and people should watch it. I couldn't deny that. I think it yeah. is. It falls into the category. It's. It's really good. It's really is, is this noir? I think it is. Oh, yeah. I think a little, this, is, this yeah. is a really good example of noir. If you want to see noir, this is a good example. Well, I was going to ask you because I'm, I've been surprised that another movie you didn't care for that was noir, and and I wonder if weirdly because you're you're a bigger fan of of noir and then also like hard boiled you know literature mm -hmm. than I am. I wonder if it's a thing where like I'm willing to sort of have more suspension of disbelief with noir and you're because you're more of an aficionado it's like you want it to be noir but also have this interesting balance of of more believability because you didn't like double indemnity that much either yeah there's something about it i don't care for it's just yeah it's mm. i don't know that's interesting that's an interesting thought maybe it is but yeah. but to me and, and i'll admit i think my approach is, is the much easier or lazier way it's like to me, that's like one of the things I checklist on noir. It's like the voice of like goes, It was a crazy day when that brought, you know, like I'm like, okay, I'm well, in a noir, noir movie film. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want something possibly more nuanced, I guess. Sometimes, yeah. And sometimes, yeah. And this is, I would say this is not a nuanced movie. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, no, it's not a nuanced yeah, movie. It's really not. It's very, it's very broad strokes. It takes its, it, it's, it's cute to some degree from, from other Cagney movies like the, the Roaring Twenties. It takes its cue from like, you know, 15 years earlier, too. Yeah, I'm, 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 I, I was reading an article earlier this week about James Cagney. He mm -hmm. is my next. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go through and blow through everything he's ever done. Mm -hmm. I want to read. I want to. I want to watch some more. Cagney. He was my first favorite actor. The first time I had a favorite actor was he. Yeah, and yeah. you know my my limited experience with him because my because my dad didn't care for James Cagney, so right. we didn't. I didn't have a lot of exposure into him. But my experience, is, you know, since we started this and and over the years, you know, the odd moments where I've caught him is he's a really good fucking actor. Yeah. Well, he might be, he's. I think he might be a great actor. He's I don't know. even. In 
and even when he's not, he's engaging. In, yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a great movie actor, maybe. I, I read his uh, movie his star autobiography not long ago. I'm going to reread it, but but uh, he. Um, he's one of those guys. He comes like like comes from like the Jimmy Stewart, maybe others I can name. It's like Hollywood Republicans uh-huh. from that time period. Yeah. Who's not an asshole? Right. He's just a very likable person. Right, right. He just thinks things should be decent. He's well, almost he, like corny. He's so decent. Yeah, yeah, definitely corny. The thing about it, he also started off very liberal, but he became much more conservative as he got older. Yeah. As yeah. as do we all, I'm told. But anyways, I think I was watching Mr. Roberts the other week and like just did it all, all, all week long I've been saying slip eyes in my head. <laughs> the way slip eyes, you yep. know, he does. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, watching that, I was like, he's got to be from Boston. And I looked it up. No, he's from, he's from New York. Yeah, makes anyways, sense. Anyways, enough of that. So enough of my nonsense. Let's move forward three years to uh, 1950s <laughs> Night in the City, another Jules de Somme movie. Jules. We've done one other, and that's actually The Naked City, mm-hmm. which um, was, of course, set in New York, and this is set in London. Yes. 1950? Yeah. With Richard Woodmark. Richard Woodmark. Now in a, in a, clearly a starring role. He's yeah, his star is rising. Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess you would put him in this. I mean, it's his movie. Yeah, it is his movie. Yeah, yeah. He's such a fucking great character, and he's such. You know what it is? It's an interesting Mm. because watching this movie, he's such what we, like in improv, they call it the a low, um, call that a a low stature character Mm. that you almost forget that it's his movie and that he's the star of it. Ah, yeah. Fucking, this was wait, wait, wait. I I don't agree with that. Really? Well, I mean, the thing is, I I just I think he is. Just barely takes a back seat in this character to Tony Curtis and Sweet Smell of Success. He's in that okay, but and, he's in that category, right? Well, the difference being in Sweet Smell of Success, you also have Burt, Burt Lancaster, Lancaster, and in this movie, you don't have a counterpart like Burt Lancaster. That's what I'm saying. It's like so and so. Okay, so that's a, that's a perfect example. Okay, so yeah. you got a low, you have the the low status person, and you got Burt Lancaster who's very high status. Like, oh, you mean the characters are low and high status? Yeah, I thought you meant that he. Uh, never mind. I no, you yeah, meant the, as an actor, like oh, second, no, second or third no, build no, or something. Brilliant! I mean, it's, no, yeah, know, yeah. it's hard to say. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to carry a movie and be that much of a fucking weasel at the same time. Oh, he is uh, certainly good in this movie, uh, man. Yeah, he's, he is. this is a tremendous movie. I've never seen this movie. Yep. Super glad we saw this movie. Yeah, and there's so many interesting people in it. Like, there's, um, um, I mean, we'll get into the specifics, but but the the guy who plays the solicitor is also the brother in the African Queen. There's a oh, bunch okay. of people you've seen in other well, British character actors because this yeah, is a British production, right? All over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and by a, a great French um, director. Yeah, by a lot of people I, that I don't recognize, except I kind of do recognize them, but I didn't, but certainly by name, I could never tell you who the fuck they well, are. And then don't forget, there's uh, Jean Tierney. Jean Tierney, right? Sure, yeah, she's the and only we one. From and then Laura, what, what, what's her her gay friend? What was him? Because I've seen him in other things. I can't remember. He ended up um, uh, being um, ending his career out for like thirty years on a soap opera. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I God. don't remember. Oh, does that God bless him or God help him? I don't know. It's work, man. Yeah, I guess it's funny yeah, work. Right. And then you have like I can't a, wait to show up at Canocti Harbor and celebrate my last career. How? But no one gets a reference anymore because Canocti Harbor has been gone for like twenty years. Did you know that? I did not. No, I know. No, no, I got you. <laughs> hmm. No, no, okay. no. But it's the cla- just to, to explain yeah. the joke because that always makes jokes better. Is that Canocti Harbor is the classic sort of like where bands go to die? It's it a was the California version of that place out in Montana. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, Herbert Lom is in it. Yes, Herbert Lom. Wow, yeah. it's really great to watch him not be Clouseau's sidekick. 
Um, he's yeah, a little well, menacing well, little fucking He was also, weasel. he used to be Alec Guinness's sidekick in a few things. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Lady Killers, I can think of Lady Killers, right. There's also, now I forget his name, but I, I want to say, I want to believe anyway, that the old man, the father who's a wrestler, was also a wrestler in The Killers with Kubrick? Am I crazy about that? I don't think that was him. Oh, okay. They I just, don't think that was him. seem similar to me. But I will tell you, the other, the uh, the, the Destroyer, or what his, what's his name? Ah, fuck it. I don't God know. Damn it, I can't remember his name. But he's been, uh, please, my mashy. Like, he's been in a bunch of movies. Was that? Always plays that that's the same in, actor. In Some Like It Hot? Some Like It Hot, yeah. He's been in so many things, and the name is escaping me right now. He's I don't great. think so. He was Paul Mazursky. He was in Them also? I believe he was. Yeah, yeah, he was in Them, yeah. Yeah. Make, uh, he, he was a drunk in the, in the ward and Okay, them. I'm going to tell you where you've Make gone. Make me a sergeant and charge the booze. You're kind of half right, half wrong. Mm-hmm. That's actually not him. It's Mike Mazursky, his Mike. brother. Okay, I'm just, I'm just letting you know. Oh, it's okay. not Paul. Right, so it's, sure. it's 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 it's. But that's what they look I'm similar. I'm fucking up the Paul part of it too. It doesn't fucking anyway, matter that, that at all. Character actor, I love this guy in anything I see. Yeah. All right. So 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 we're talking about. Okay. So <laughs> it starts off with great fucking like tracking shots. This film has great mm-hmm. little shots all over uh, London. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Richard Widmark is running from somebody. Yes. Um, and it turns out not to be that menacing. He's running away from five from five uh, from a debt of five pounds. Yeah. Basically, and it's it's he's, he's seven dollars. He's a guy, his job is like a ringer, I guess. Basically, yeah. he, to trick people, especially tourists, into coming into a place where they'll spend too much money on watered-down liquor and yeah. on dames who then turn it over. You know, it's the it's, old it's, shell game. It's the old shell game. It's like it's what bars used to, it's what bars used to do back yeah. in the good old days, right? And, uh, yeah. Back when back when it was half a con job. And 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 um he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be bigger. It's a classic story of a guy who wants to be bigger, so he's always got some sort of angle. He right. if he could just but get his hands on mitts on uh, two hundred dollars, he can invest in this thing that's a sure thing. Right. He's but he's the get rich quick guy. He's the guy who's everything's got to be a con. Everything is to be conned out of life. Yeah. That's that's where it falls apart. And of course, he has no stick to itiveness. He has no way of. He doesn't. He doesn't know if you if you gave him a, th- a million bucks, he'd spend it on something and then lose yeah. interest in doing. Always it a loser. Something. Yeah. Always a definitely loser. a born loser by definition. A born. I'll stick with this kid. kid. He's a loser. <laughs> well played, sir. Yeah. So, so um, he somehow, even his his Richard Widmarkness, is in a situation with the beautiful Jean Tierney, Jean Tierney one yeah. of the most beautiful women, even here, which is like uh, you know six years after Laura. Yeah, she's just amazing. Yeah, okay. And she has she socks away. It's a classic story of our grandmother, I think. You sock away a little money, the guy finds it, it's gone, start all over again. Right? I guess something like, like that. Tribute yeah. to her grandfather. Well, that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to like put together a life out of the shit that she was doing because she's also working at the bar, yeah, doing something that's and, not very dignified. She's like, fuck it, you gotta do it to get ahead in life. Meanwhile, yeah. she she and Wid- Widmark love each other. Yeah. But 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 she can't let him pull her down every chance he gets, which is every chance he can take, really. And not not because he's a prick, but because that's just what he is as a person. And one of the things this is this is sort of familiar with people who've seen Adam's Rib too. That the neighbor who's who's effeminate, mm-hmm. who understands her, who's the good friend, and like why why do you put up with him? Right, you know, and right. and so he's sort of the you protector there. You know, he wants there. to jump them bones, or arrange her flowers or something <laughs> it's hard to say it's really i think he's straight in this one but yeah but he does play he does play the friend zone gay guy for sure yeah friend zone mm-hmm. so um um the uh and and the great actor and i don't know his name that the the corpulent man who owns the the sort of guy. like he's sydney awesome. green street of this yeah, film yeah, yeah, 
who who's a sort of a miserly guy who mm-hmm. who makes money hand over fist, who runs the the canteen. His mm-hmm. wife, who's much too beautiful for him, and clearly wants, wants a way out of it. Out, yeah, and she, and she can't because he won't. You won't because he's taking all the money and he won't give her any at all. Which is part yeah. of the reason she wants to escape world without end, right? Yeah, and so in a way, I mean, <laughs> plow through if you want. But but my instinct here is not to go through all the details because first of all, it's very sort of complex. It yeah. turns in many mm-hmm. many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But suffice to say, Widmark thinks he has a way out, a, 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 a for sure, for sure investment. By bringing classy Greco-Roman wrestling to London. The the wrestling angle also has its own tension because there's a father who's a, who's a classic wrestler who's mm-hmm. at odds with Herbert Lom, who's made his way to London to, as a sort of like WWE, like yeah. fake, like a profitable wrestling. Yeah, he's a Vince McMahon. The thank you. The um the cantina owner's wife who desperately wants out has her own angle and somehow they're all intertwined in yeah. in, in like a, a game of hot potato with this money. Mm-hmm. And and you know, somebody's going to going down and it could be all of them. Right. Wow, I think that's a good tagline. Someone's you, going down, it could, it could be, be all of them. Right. Yeah. In the world. And really and really, but really it's Richard Widmark because it's such a great you know, such a great sort of way to frame the yep. movie of him like at the beginning running away from five bucks. Yeah. And at the end of the movie he's running away from a significantly larger amount of money. Yeah, and the thing is, it's one of those classic, we talk about it once in a while, where you know the boat's going to sink, mm-hmm. and you don't care that you know the boat's going to sink. Yeah. Let's watch the boat sink. And it's like, yeah, of course, he's the one who's going to go down ultimately, but how is he going to go down? Who's yeah. he going to take down with him, and in what manner? You, can he yeah. redeem himself? Because there's no, Well, but that's the thing. That's never the question, because you know he's going to go down. There's no way this character resolves in a good fucking way. That's almost immediately apparent, I think he I has think. moments where you, you are fooled into thinking he could. There's a human feeling that's a little high. Well, uh, Higher or at a higher volume than his greed or his weaselness, and that's okay. Weaselness. And that's what I think Wid, uh, Widmark brings to these roles. So he yeah. did it, the same thing as at Tommy Udo. Yeah. There was a moment. There's there's a humanity to Tommy Udo yeah. brought by the fact that he's got a code. Yeah. In this case, there's this humanity that he's able to inject. You kind of like him, even though. There's nothing he does that should you should like about this guy. We have several he comes listeners across as likable. who hate it when I say I use the word trope, but I'm going to invoke it here. I would say that in Kiss and Death, what's even though the Tommy Udo character is amazing, <laughs> the the humanity aspect quotes around that is part of a kind of a well worn trope of humanity, yeah. honor among things. Right. Whereas this one, it actually seems like a genuine human in yeah, there who wants a, to be loved but can't overcome his fucking weaselly instincts. Yeah. Yeah, he's like he's like he's like one of those. Uh, oh, fuck yeah, he's, he's like a he's like from uh, Mean Streets. He's like uh, De Niro's character in Mean yeah, Streets, right? A little bit. Just, yeah. His own instincts keep fucking ruining him. If if you could uh, if he could overcome those, he'd probably be a great guy, but he can't. So but he, he can't. So it goes down. So yeah. I like to point out like these two movies are like the least Widmarkian movies. Like, but mm. but we're talking about like the first beginning of his career. He had, but this... also don't forget No Way Out. I think it belongs yeah. in the trilogy here. Let's say, yeah, yeah, you're right. right. So this, from like forty seven to like beginning of his career, he was a very different character actor, yeah. and then he became Richard Widmark. Well, see, I first the first and only time for a long time that I knew Richard Widmark from well, two things. One was Judgment at Nuremberg, yeah. and that was the sort of much later when he when he transitioned into like what I call not not like Spencer Tracy, but having a small Spencer Tracyness to him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The other thing I know him from is that um, season of I Love Lucy where Lucy kept running in the stars in Hollywood. Oh, it was early, early horrible plugging. It'd be like mm-hmm. John Wayne would show up and he'd be like, well, I hope you like my new movie, mm-hmm. Blood Alley. Oh, I'll go see it, Mr. Wayne. And I forget what, what Richard Woodmarks was, but she got caught 
um, she was trying to steal a grapefruit from his yard to uh, get him to sign it, and she got trapped in the house with a dog. Okay. Oh, Lucy. Oh, Will you Lucy. ever stop? Oh, you got some splaining to do, Lucy. But I really had no idea that Richard Woodmark was this, like, I mean, he's really great. He's a fucking great actor, he had man. great chops as an actor, for sure. And yeah. He, and it, but again, he fell into the, he fell into mm-hmm. the, the well-worn path of being Richard Widmark and being yeah. the character that he, you know, being a given character on, on, on screen. So, I mean, and there were variations on that. Like if you go to the Bedford incident, for instance, that, but that's still, but that's still, that's Richard Widmark. You know, yeah. you're watching him. Yeah. So, and it's so, okay. So we're coming up to our last movie let's here. Let's do it. Let's, let's talk about 1957's Time, Time Limit. Limit. Okay. Now, this movie for me has a, has a weird, I saw it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while when you, you see a movie and you, you, you see, you see that movie and for me, it was like this movie that I knew about that nobody else I knew knew about. Right, I could see my that. dad never watched it, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Mm-hmm. I watched it late night one time when he was asleep, and I just I fucking had it. I had yep. it in my little heart, yep. and I liked it. And it talked to and it was to me enlarged. it seemed great. It was yeah, I, it was much smaller then yep. as was I. Yep. I was a, I was a mere kid, and so this this movie just has a place in my heart. And yep. so when we brought up Richard Woodmark, I was like, fuck, I want to bring that up because yep. this will also give me the opportunity to rewatch it and see if what I thought was a great movie. Is in fact a great movie. What if it's your verdict? I want to hear your verdict first. Um, okay, well, uh, um, and don't let my feelings get in the way. <laughs> uh, hilarious. Okay, so I I don't think it's a great movie, but I don't hate it. I think it has all the possibilities of being a, a, a really good movie. Mm-hmm. It's fun to watch five years beforehand um, the Manchurian Candidate in a way. There's, mm-hmm. It's Manchurian Candidate ish in yep. a way. Yep. Um, it's very much. Um, I can see where it would have been a good play, but what it has, it has all the markings, and I mean the kind of like unlikable markings of like Colgate hour teleplays. Yeah. And that's what I don't like about it. I mean, it it has interesting sort of flashbacks. It has an interesting concept, mm-hmm. but it has people just sort of walking in and out of scenes too conveniently throwing a football back and forth in terms of plot and emotion. Yeah. And, I would say that this is a movie I'd give two and a half stars. Like yeah. it's fair yeah. and it's interesting, and it definitely could have been much better given what they had to work with, yeah. but it wasn't. Yeah, it, you know, I think it was my, my little heart was like filled with like humanistic possibilities watching this thing yeah. because it is like a very sort of a weird stab at well, it would appears to be kind of a humanist approach to like the effects of war yeah, on people, yeah. and at the same time. It's also pretty fucking jingoistic too, and that part of it completely escaped me when I was a kid. So I'm going to yeah. say I'm a little disappointed. It was it doesn't hold up. You know what's interesting? I don't think is, it's a bad movie, but it definitely doesn't hold up. There are movies like Inherit the Wind or Failsafe that the way they handled that bullshit was to put a disclaimer at the beginning or the end. Those movies originally, and you can find them mm-hmm. on YouTube, have like a two minute thing. Like Failsafe ends after all the horror of Failsafe with. Of course, this could never happen, you know. And <laughs> yeah. and and inherit the wind had a thing at the end that was like we in no way want to disparage, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> evangelical Christianity. Right. And it's like, yeah, I'd rather have that because you can just sort of turn it off than yeah. the way they had to keep sort of seeding us with, right. as you say, nationalism, bringing back nationalism, yeah. sort of the grossest forms of nationalism too. Yeah, yeah. to to make it to do obviously. 
obviously make it palatable to the audience that was going to be watching it at the time. Well, because to a thoughtful person, like so, so one of the, so the, the so plot it was is neither this. fish nor fowl is the real problem. I mean, it, it wasn't anti, it wasn't, it wasn't like it wasn't uh, humanitarian. It wasn't just humanist, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it wasn't one hundred percent the other way. It, it should have gone just one or the other direction. It would have been a much better movie from from a distance. Like here's something that happens, mm-hmm. and, and it's a way to also sort of starting the plot outline here. You know, it, what what clearly has happened in the past is there's a POW camp. It, this, by the way, it's 57, so it's like not long after the end of the of the Korean right War. There. I noticed, by the way, that weird movies about the Korean War mm-hmm. happened right after the Korean, I guess, police action, quote unquote, as opposed to World War II, where like weird movies weren't made that quickly afterwards. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but okay, so it, they're making this movie about former POWs and American POWs in North Korea. Right. And and there's a scene where one of their officers appears to have been brainwashed right. into giving a lecture to the rest of the POWs on Karl Marx's. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of Karl Marx, Karl Malden was the director of this. I'd like to point that out. That was kind of an interesting factor. I didn't know he was a director. I knew he was in it. That's the only thing he ever directed. By the way. Was this movie. By the way, hmm? Mr. Karl Malden. Oh, shut up. Was also. Yeah. A POW. A, what? He was a POW. I'm making that up. Go ahead. What was he? <laughs> he, he was a POW. Was he? He was an uncredited oh. role in POW. Oh, shit. Okay. But he was also uh, an uncredited um, appearance in Kiss of Death as a prisoner. Fuck off. Really? Yep. Oh, I forgot okay. to mention that. Have to go back and watch, rewatch that. Okay. Or watch it for the first time, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you right in on. so anyway, so, so, so the nattering. premise here is that, is that one of the officers has been brainwashed into, you know, yeah. giving lectures on communism. But well, hold on. Here, here's what's important is I, I'm of the opinion mm-hmm. that communism has been one of the most evil and destructive forces in all of history, of modern history. I'm just of that opinion. So mm-hmm. I am actually, as I get older, very unsympathetic. To communism and, and, and kids who walk around wearing like Che Guevara t-shirts like, well, do you fucking know what this guy did? Because well, they got those at Hot Topic, my friend. Right. But having said that, uh-huh. here's the problem with a thoughtful person watching this movie 50 years later. Mm-hmm. When the officer goes back and conducts his lectures, everything he's lecturing about seems completely reasonable. Yeah. But what it's meant to do is get the audience to go like, oh my God, this filth that he's, because it was (laughs) made during the Red Scare. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the other thing that's really important. That's another thing about this movie that is also problematic is it does require you to sort of throw your mind back into the time period. Like, you almost have to appreciate a little bit of what they were going through. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, socially in the United States, for this movie to make almost any sense, really. I mean, you know, the Korean War, that's the whole concept, like, you know, everyone's terror of the concept of uh, brainwashing comes from the Korean War. More because course, yeah. because of some of that stuff that went on, and so and so you could see this this play was originally a play, and then movie was also designed to sort of cash in on that, yeah, a little bit, and it'd be, it's a little bit obvious sometimes, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so the officer uh, he, he is apparently brainwashed, and uh, this is after the war, so he is being uh, he's being uh, prosecuted or he's Possibly. being investigated, investigated to see if he'll be court-martialed for, for treason, treason as they call it, the treason, the yes. tari, yeah, that thingy. Yeah. The hanging the hanging fruit. Yeah, and it's very clear Martin Balsam has a role as a sort of like secretary to Colonel By way of Gilligan. Wimark, who I mean I mean and so I mean there's several people. For some reason you have a corporal who's who's Woodmark's immediate secretary who I think he has kind of a, a love thing with. Yeah, yeah. 
um, who's very, very intellectually reasonable. Mm-hmm. Martin Balsam, who's just the sort of like Vic Tayback in the early days, sort of goofing <laughs> around and like, hey. But but it's right. very clear that everyone wants this guy fucking hung right. for what he's done. Not least of all, and it has to be introduced that Widmark's immediate superior yep. also uh, has a son that was in the prison camp with this guy. And who died in the prison who camp. Who died in the prison camp meanwhile this guy lived. Yep. So this guy is also like applying pressure. Like this would have been yep. a completely different, this would have been a much more believable movie had not this thing happened frankly. yeah 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 but, and then uh, but also i think also unbelievable <laughs> is the actor who plays i mean unbelievable in that he's not a craggy old man snorting coke off a, a woman's ass and that is a young rip torn as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's a baby face actor Isn't that awesome yeah oh my god i mean the real rip torn is has always been a hundred and is a maniac he's a lunatic he's a wonderful crazy. lunatic and yeah. just, a, just a riveting person to watch on a, on a small but you screen. actually see him like as a reasonable young a actor yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly but wow. it's but it, you know i mean the how thing much is, coke did that man do oh yeah but but the thing is uh, this this whole idea of of you know they're they're home now and 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 this major who who maybe has committed treason is that the major is is trying to protect his men and and right. not willing to defend himself. Right. Yeah. He yeah he refuses to defend himself because which... there's some bigger issue on the table and we're that's that's what's interesting right. about the movie is is we're left to try to go along with the ride and figure out what is this bigger issue to right. him and that's the whole point of the movie that yeah. ultimately it devolves to being Widmark trying to pry out the truth of what actually happened and who do you who, like there's a loyalty to the, your country of course there's a loyalty <clears throat> to your men there's a loyalty to the truth right and all of that is at play and it's like this is you know 50 years before um, Jack Nicholson you can't handle the truth. I mean, in a version, in a way, yeah. it's also tackling the same issues a few good men was trying to tackle later yeah. on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, it didn't hold up. I don't know. Should we go for? I don't think no. going much further into the plot is going to do it one way. Yeah. Or the Although other. I thought that was a great. Like, here's how seriously they took themselves. Oh, Richard fucking... Woodmark um, goes to interview uh, on the side uh, the, the the said uh, treasonous major's wife, mm-hmm. and she says at a certain point, "Here's how rough it's been. We haven't even been together since he's come back." And clearly, she meant she hasn't been fucked. Yeah, I thought that was for 1957. That was like, yeah, it seems pretty kind of bold. Yeah, it seems pretty risque. Yeah. yeah, and he ain't knocked them boots. Yeah. They weren't Chinese. Yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those. I kind of feel the same way that I felt. I feel about. Uh, I felt about the Man on the String with Borgnine. I don't even know that it's really worth your time. Really? I, I mean, I re- read the play. I would yeah, say. Yes, you know, I, I almost want to to see. Just how much compromise went into the making of the movie, you know? It's it's, it's a fucking shame. I got this sort of childhood I, I, idol thing I had going for me because I thought it was so great, like, and I was the only one who knew it. But um, yeah, it's not that great. It just isn't. Yeah. Uh, either one of the other two movies would I would watch before this. Oh, a hundred percent. I think we would. Could we, could we agree that? I think we're in, in, in concert here. Number one would be Night in the City. Yeah. Number absolutely. two would be Kiss of Death. Yeah. And number three would be Time Limit. Yep. Yeah, that right. is so true. Yep. And then check out a little movie, which we should do at some point soon. Maybe it's a mm-hmm. Patreon episode. Judgment at Nuremberg. Oh, we should probably do that soon. Yeah. All right. Why not? Why not? Like it. Why not, I'd say. I, I don't know. Okay. Stop. Stop hitting me. Tommy, do you have anything to plug, sir? Um, yeah, check it out, uh, tomsmithcomedy.com, uh, doing some shows coming up and, um, try to keep that updated. Um, other than that, please join us on Patreon. We'd uh, love to have you. And also we need to, uh, we need to break out those Gmails and see. Yeah, we have a bunch we haven't read and they're all, a lot of them are pretty funny. 
Okay. I would say for reasons so, that are so true. much more interesting than us. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely more interesting <laughs> than us. But if you need to send us an email with more observations, uh, send them to finleysonfilm at gmail.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. I guess that's about it. If you're interested in uh, supporting us on the old Patreon for Patreon. $5 a month or more, feel mm-hmm. free to do so. And you'll have access to the twice monthly, approximately, special episodes that we do. Sometimes we do like three or four months. Sometimes we do one. But it turns out to be about two a month. Yeah. And there they're, they're as ter- terrible as this one. <laughs> bidding, 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 bidding. Permission, right. to, permission to go ashore, sir. <laughs>